You're listening to the weekly message at Mosaic Church. For more information or to talk about your own life in Christ, email info at mosaicchurchevans.org. If you'd like to support our ministry, visit our website at mosaicchurchevans.org. Thanks for listening. And now, this week's message. Jesus, you don't owe me anything. Jesus, you don't owe me anything. Well, that song really, really resonates with me, that mess, I mean, that line especially. So I want to title this message, Christmas, You Don't Owe Me Anything. <laughs> well, let me tell you why. Last year, actually, it was Christmas Day last year when I planned today's message. Even the date, last Christmas Day. I wanted it to be early enough in the year that you'd have time to rethink your own approach to the holidays. And as fate would have it, we all have the perfect excuse this year to do something different for the holidays because it won't be anyone's ordinary Christmas. So I want to tell you what happened last year on Christmas Day. Uh, I noticed, actually, leading up to Christmas Day, during the holidays, that people seem to have even more tension. This was last year before we even knew to talk to each other about COVID. People seem to have even more stress, even more expectations. Um, and, and it's like we, we like Christmas, but we don't much love it. And we put up with Christmas even when we rather not. Almost like that cousin at the family gathering that we love but don't really, you know, like. You know the one. Not you, but the people you know, right? It's kind of sad, but that is Christmas for a lot of Christians. Then on Christmas Day, last year, I got an email from someone who was one of those people who'd been dealing with some stress through the holidays, more than average, a little more complaining than me. And she'd been, she'd been deeply convicted on Christmas Day, and she wrote this to me. She wrote, I hope you are having an incredible Christmas Day. Today, my family and I are discussing the possibility of creating our own Christmas tradition. For as long as I can remember, this time of year has been a source of anxiety, sorrow, guilt, and the longing for it to be something more, something else, something joyful. So I have raged against it in my spirit, dug my heels against it. I have found every excuse to avoid caring at Christmas, but I will no longer be angry at the season for the joy I failed to find for myself. Right about now, you're all thinking, did I email Carolyn on Christmas Day last year? This is not you. It's no one in this room. She goes on. Christmas doesn't owe me anything. Today, it finally occurred to me that Christmas can be for us whatever we choose it to be. Old things have passed away. I have to let them die. And out of the ashes will be born a new thing, a God-honoring thing, a loving expression of the gift that is Jesus, a loving expression of all that redemption is in all its beauty and glory for Jesus. I loved that email. It charged me up. I immediately had a whole sermon in mind. Christmas doesn't owe me anything, I thought. That's it. 
What is it about the holiday that gets our expectations all out of whack and leaves so many of us edgy and discouraged, as if Christmas owes us some kind of warm, fuzzy, Hallmark movie that doesn't actually exist in real life. Now, of course, last Christmas, we none of us had any idea we'd be here if we thought last Christmas was stressful. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so the universe has said, you don't even know the meaning of the word stressful, Christmas 2019. <laughs> I'll show you stress. And to make the point clear, the universe threw the kitchen sink at us. It gave us one of every hard thing. We even had a full moon on Halloween with a time change. It's like we're living in a sci-fi script. I mean, literally. It turns out this didn't happen just recently, but just recently these articles kind of surfaced, at least in my Twitter world, about these Russian scientists who have resurrected these 40,000-year-old roundworms. Have you heard about this? Seriously, they, they, they unfroze them, and they are alive, prehistoric roundworms. And somebody has started posting articles about this on Twitter, and somebody took the article, posted it with a note that said, Read the room, people. Read the room. Not in 2020, please. <laughs> it's a lot. We are all wound tight. And now we get to experience all this and the holidays. <laughs> so maybe the question our friend inspired with her email needs to be expanded. And the question for us needs to be this. What do I owe the world right now? What do I owe my family? What do I owe myself? What do I owe my community? And what do I owe Jesus. This week, as we prepare to accept the election results and as we brace ourselves for what looks to be an uptick in viral cases, as we continue to talk about justice and race and politics and, and the resurrection of roundworms, all of it, what do I owe my family? What do I owe myself? What do I owe my community? What do I owe Jesus? I see an answer embedded in the Christmas story. So I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. Last week we were in the last page of the Old Testament. Today we're going to be in the first page of the New Testament. I want you to look with me at Matthew chapter 1, verses 20, excuse me, 18 to 25. I'm going to read the whole passage, and I want you to try hard to hear this as if for the first time. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. Birth there, actually, the Greek word is the same as the Greek for genealogy, and they've just come through a genealogy, and so it's really clear he's just he's connecting us to the, to the Israelite genealogy. This is how the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Pledged means engaged. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, another thing I want you to do as we read through it is circle the number, circle every time you hear the word Holy Spirit or notice the number of times you hear Holy Spirit. Just in the very beginning verses of Matthew, we find out this is a Holy Spirit story. She was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law. 
and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. So you can hear there this tension. He's faithful to the law, but he doesn't want to, uh, he doesn't want to you know, expose this woman to disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. I want you to circle that word quietly. It's huge. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived from her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Circle that, because he will save his people from their sins. So what is Jesus? What's the name about? The name is to save his people from their sins. Remember, back when we were doing the minor prophets, we found out that Jesus often gave, or or God often gave names to people that matched their calling. Malachi was messenger. Jonah was righteous one. Jesus is he who will save his people from their sins. All this took place, verse 22, to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin, we just, we read this at the beginning of the, of the service, uh, excuse me, Isaiah 7. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Circle that, which means God with us. So now we're hearing this beginning of what we're, how we respond to this story. Holy Spirit, Jesus, who saves us from our sins. Emmanuel, God with us. And, and Joseph woke up and did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. We've gotten so conditioned by the story and by those very sweet uh, and peaceful nativity scenes that when we hear it read like this, we, we can hardly hear the details, you know? We, 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 we hear the story and we think, okay, we've got this. That's old news. Move on. But I want you to listen this, this very modest and brief beginning of the story of our Messiah is radical. <laughs> a man and a woman who are engaged to be married, and in their culture, engagement is as good as marriage. She'd spent a year preparing to be his bride, and after a year of engagement, she would move into his family home. And this is what Joseph, a faithful Jewish man, had signed on for. But then Mary comes to him and says, this is going to be hard to swallow, Joseph, but I'm pregnant, and I know there is only one way it could have happened. And Mary is the only person who can say that. Mary is the only person who knows that she knows whether she got pregnant from some guy or from the Holy Spirit. She's the only one who knows. And now this man, Joseph, has to make a choice. This is, think of yourself. Guys in the room, consider your wife walking in and saying this to you. This would not be a quiet conversation. This has got to be an extraordinarily stressful time. And Joseph, mind blown, has to figure out how to deal with this. By all rights, he could have her killed. At least he could have, he, he could have disgraced her. And, and if you're angry and if you're hurt, don't you want to do that? Isn't that what we do to each other? I mean, we 
why isn't Joseph out there posting on whatever first century social media is how bad his ex-fiance is? Why isn't he out there telling all his friends and neighbors, tell everybody you know she will never get married to anybody? But he chose to do it quietly. And that word is huge. Here in this passage, the word quietly means secretly or privately. Rather than blowing this up and gathering people into his camp and starting to, la- uh, to, to, to launch out weapons, he does this quietly, privately, even secretly. When the word quietly is used in Timothy, we heard it earlier, the word means a, a divinely inspired calmness. The Holy Spirit has come on this man. And he's gotten calm before the Lord. He's decided, this, he has decided, rather than immediately go into defensive mode, he's going to listen. And so this man, who would be the guardian of a child, who though he didn't even know it yet, would be savior of the world, this man chose, listen, to keep his opinions to himself, respect the life of this woman, and do this quietly. Spirit stopped him quietly. That word, that response says so much about the character of the man, Jesus, that that, that God chose to raise Jesus, a divinely inspired inner calmness. Everything in front of them, every other chapter of their story would be violent and chaotic and very public. But all that would come begins with a man's choice to be quiet, to give God room to work. And when he did that, Joseph experienced, listen, he experienced a radical shift in his worldview. He decided to trust his wife and to trust his dreams and to believe that God was in them. He learned to listen to the voice of angels and through them chose to trust the lived experience of a woman who in the first century was property before she was a person. But he chose to believe against cultural norms that God had chosen to use a woman in a significant world-altering way. Think about that a minute. I mean, Mary just walked up and said, he's not chosen you, Joseph. He has asked me. to to be used by him in a significant, world-altering way, and you, Joseph, will have to serve the cause of our family. That is radical. (laughs) It makes me love my husband a lot right now. Joseph chose to let God's call on his fiancé and future wife determine their future together. And he decided all this because he could hear from the Lord when he chose to get quiet. Bold choice. Surely that choice put him at odds with his family and his community of faith. And yet it's so beautiful to, to, to witness this, this trusting give and take. Mary 
followed God, uh, excuse me, Mary followed Joseph's lead after he'd heard from the angels, and, and, and Joseph followed Mary's lead. It really is beautiful to see the interplay between them. Mary sharing her revelation with Joseph, him sharing his dreams and visions with her. They would end up giving birth in some hole-in-the-wall cave or stable and, and then would realize they were permanently displaced, that they couldn't go back to their home or family. Can you imagine? I mean, they got there and they discovered they didn't take everything with them. They thought they were just going for a census. They were permanently displaced would be gone for years. Imagine what that was like for Mary. Not just knowing that Herod was after her child, that a king was out to kill her kid, but that in pursuit of her child, he was killing a lot of children. And in a town the size of Bethlehem, that would have been at least dozens of children. Later traditions call thousands of children. And this war on children, Mary knows this is about her baby. You'd have to be pretty sure of what you believe in order to stay the course in the midst of that much violence. Friends, the last time Christmas was quiet was when Joseph got quiet enough to hear the voice of God. And God told him two things. One, take Mary home to be with her. Two, name that baby Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And then, verses 22 and 23, we hear that all this happens to fulfill the word of the prophet. The virgin will conceive and bear a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. These two names, Jesus and Emmanuel, are a powerful pairing. Jesus reminds us of our separation from God, and Emmanuel reminds us of God's desire to restore that relationship. Jesus reminds us that we have been separated from God because of our sin, but Emmanuel reminds us that God loves us so much that he will come after us, stop at nothing to make sure that that relationship is restored. It takes both of those names to tell the whole gospel. Emmanuel, that name for the Messiah, is the one that reminds us we are not the irritating cousin at the wedding that nobody really wants hanging around. We are not the odd man out, the, the, the friend God loves but doesn't really like. Emmanuel reminds us that God has fought to get to us that he battled sinful humanity to be with us, that he actually likes us. You should write that down. God likes me. He doesn't just love me because he has to, because he's God, like your mom or your dad have to love you. He likes you. He wants to be with you. And the chaos that he has to battle through in your life to get to you is worth it. Because God is with us, willingly, lovingly, with us. Everything else can change. And that begins with how we celebrate the holiday that, that celebrates His coming. That, that commemorates His witness, W-I-T-H, 
and misses. So I'm aware it's only November 1st, but if we talk about this now, we have time to plan for a Christmas season that honors, listen, God's witness and our witness. So here's the real question. Write this question down. What plans, what plans would maximize the witness of Jesus so that your witness is gospel honor? What plans would maximize the witness of Jesus so that your life is gospel honor? Because, friends, Christmas doesn't owe us anything, but maybe we owe the world a better expression of Christmas, a more peaceful, joyful expression of this incredible truth. God is with us. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. God is with us because God loves us. Truth is not meant to bring chaos, but peace. It is a gift we can give ourselves this year to truly absorb that truth. And it is a gift we can give the world as followers of Jesus to celebrate that as if it is good news. (laughs) So we come back to our questions. What do I owe my family? What do I owe myself? What do I owe my community? What do I owe uh, Jesus? What do I owe my family? How can I be with my family in a way that blesses everyone in a very off season? Let me emphasize the spirit of Joseph right here. I love that for the sake of his family, Joseph got quiet. (laughs) Isn't that great? He got quiet enough to hear the angel of the Lord speak into his life, and that made all the difference. So what if we all channel the spirit of Joseph this year and give ourselves space enough to get quiet before God? What if you make that your Christmas gift to your family? What if you make no decisions about family gatherings or extra activities except the choices made in the quiet presence of Emmanuel? What if? You know, and and the thing is, time with Jesus will only improve your family relationships. Out of my quiet time, I can take responsibility for my Christmas moods, my Christmas plans, my Christmas expectations. I can choose not to let all of that sneak up on me. I can get quiet in the spirit of Joseph and pray about what is realistic, you know, doable, especially COVID doable, and not ask more of others than they can give. I can also mind my own limits so I don't end up getting past my limits and and, uh, become the source of another person's stress. A divinely inspired inner calm. You know, I've said this so much uh, this year, Grace is the word this year. Grace is the word we need to give each other. Because frankly, we've all, every single last one of us, act a little bit foolish at some point or another. We've gotten, you know, over the COVID line and just acted out a little bit. 
everyone But that can't that can't define or be the last word over anybody's life. Grace is the last word over our lives, right? We're followers of Jesus. And patience is the muscle that needs to be flexed. So be realistic about what you can handle this year. Grieve the loss of things that may take more out of you than they add and be at peace with what's left. It may mean, like Mary and Joseph, that we don't go back to old traditions or or whine about it because we can't this year. This is a great year for those of you who don't really like your Christmas traditions anyway. This is a great year to do a new thing, (laughs) to have a great excuse. As as our friend who wrote the email said, a God-honoring thing, a loving expression of the gift that is Jesus, a loving expression of all that redemption is. That's all that is expected of us. What can I give my family? I can give them a loving expression of all that redemption is. What do I owe myself? How does God's withness work for me? How about if we begin spending quiet time really uh, contemplating the withness of God? What if we gave ourselves the gift this year of focusing on healing the wounds that have been exposed by this hard year? I think that would be a huge gift to give yourself this year. There's not a person, you know... Um, Angel Davis, she's my dear friend. She is a Christian psychotherapist and uh, who's, who's spent a lot of her last, uh, I guess the last 20 years, really doing a lot of healing prayer as part of her therapy. And um, she has a new blog, uh, excuse me, podcast out. You should look it up called Have You Not Heard? The last five, uh, she's a series, the last five posts have been on healing brain trauma because in this season there's a lot of trauma. There's big T trauma. For some of us, I mean, this is really big T trauma. You know, those big, hard things. And they put even um, medical people in, in the category of people who are experiencing big T trauma or maybe you lost your job or maybe your family has imploded. Those are big T trauma things. Little T trauma is, is just the stress of a very hard season that just stays after us. And between big T trauma and little t trauma, those, there's a lot of stress floating around in the air right now, right? A lot of stress floating around. So what if you gave yourself the gift of exploring all the healing avenues that this year can offer you? And it may be something completely different. Go, go looking for some healing prayer. Go look, find a counselor if you need it. Or, or, or find time to journal it out. I have a good friend who has chosen this year, in, in this season, to write her whole life story right now, just for herself. It's not for public consumption. She's just writing her life story as a way of seeking healing. What a gift that is. What if you spent time, you and Jesus, healing from your wrong perceptions of him? goal is to get our brains to reintegrate. I did something last night I have never done before, ever. I made all the way from scratch cookies. 
trying to hasten the return of Jesus. Um, and I said, after all the way from scratch, I discovered actually all the way from scratch, cookies are really just flavored butter. <laughs> I did it while I listened to worship music. So I've been listening to, to, to some things about how your brain works, and I realized this is probably a really good way for me to spend myself rather than being online soaking in all the memories. Let me just do something completely different that fires up some different synapses. I promised Steve that I would do this again. Every single time there is Halloween, a time change, a pandemic, and, uh, and a blue moon. Every single time I will make all the way from scratch cookies. What do you need to do spiritually, physically, emotionally? To give yourself the gift of really understanding that God is for you, God is with you, and God loves you, and he likes you. In a book called Does God Really Like Me, Sid and Jeff Coleslaw, the authors, ask this question. Um, what if God really does like you? What if God is always moving toward you and not just keeping his distance? What if God likes you so much that he truly enjoys being with you? What if God appreciates you so much that he wants to partner with you to accomplish all his purposes in the world? And they go on. We are convinced that everything changes when we believe God is glad to be with us. Glad to be with us. It changes how we experience God's presence. It changes how we live. That's a healing thought that many of us need to explore. We are not an afterthought or a consolation prize or the guy at the party God is standing with until the better people get there. For all the hard this season is, God has not abandoned us and he is not about to abandon us. God has not given up on us. He hasn't. If God was planning to give up on the human race, he'd have done it a long time ago. What we, what we have instead is a promise that he won't. Every time you see a rainbow, that's a promise. God is not giving up on the human race until the coming of Jesus again. God with us is a permanent condition, an irrevocable covenant. Emmanuel, God with us. So what do I owe myself this Christmas, I owe myself the effort of learning what it means that God is with me because God loves me. In all my crazy, God loves me, wants to be with me. And if that is true, then we owe it to ourselves to be gentle with ourselves. If God is with me, that ought to make a difference in in, in how I think about my own experiences and in how I talk to myself in the mirror and how I talk to myself in the middle of the night, and especially as I deal with the things in my past that created my deepest wounds, friends, can we be gentle with ourselves? God wants to be with us. And we learn to trust that this is true, that we are actually wanted by God. Imagine how that affects the way we love others. Imagine how that changes how we offer ourselves to others, which is the point. Matthew begins and ends with God's 
witness. It begins in chapter 1 with Emmanuel, and it ends in, in chapter 28 with a, with a commission. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you, even to the very end of the age. Matthew moves us from witness in chapter 1 to witness in chapter 28. When we have embraced and benefited from the quiet and from God's healing, we have so much more to offer the world. What do we owe our community then? What do we owe our community? Well, I think we owe, at least we owe the world, a better expression of the Christmas holiday. A joyful expression that emphasizes its goodness. God with us is good news. We owe our community the joy of giving charitably, faithfully, and responsibly. And if you're looking for ideas, try the Mosaic Center. The Mosaic Center at Maxwell's has this marvelous little fun project. They want to give every single um, resident of Maxwell's a pair of socks stuffed with good things. So you can go out. Buy some fun socks. Stuff them with good things. There's a list on our website. And, and then bring them and we'll give them to the people at Maxwell House. How fun is that? An easy way to give back. We owe our faith community the gift of presence. What can you, who can you listen? Who can you visit or call or get in touch with before the year is out? Just to be with them. I realize that not all of you can be here in person, but friends, it, it doesn't cost anything to use your phone. I mean, not any more than you're already paying. And we can visit with each other. You, most of us live within just a few miles of each other. Even you guys online, you live just within a few miles of people in your community. Who can you be with this year? For the sake of making sure that your faith community's relationships do not atrophy in a very long and hard season. That is completely doable. What an incredible Christmas mission it would be to express the brilliance and the goodness of Emmanuel by spending time with somebody. I know for myself what I need most and what I expect everybody needs most right now is the kind of loving presence that restores relationships and brings true healing. I want to sit with someone who doesn't want to talk politics. I want to sit with somebody who just wants to talk about, I don't know, cooking. say that this way. As citizens of the kingdom of God, Emmanuel, God with us, our lives cannot matter more than the lives of others. As citizens of the kingdom of God, our lives cannot 
matter more to us than the lives of others. Because Christianity is at its root an other-focused religion, and it is a community-focused religion. God with us. We who believe that Jesus is Lord are citizens of His kingdom first, and this must take priority in our speech, in our behavior, in our schedules, in our bank accounts, in our hearts, in our relationships. This is who we are. We are citizens of the kingdom of God, first of all, or not at all. And this is where the story of Mary and Joseph is just so powerful. Listen to this. Once they got their marching orders, they never looked back. Even while they were being counted as citizens of a particular province, even as they were being counted as citizens, they understood themselves as kingdom citizens first. So they traveled for the census, but they didn't let Herod determine their destiny. Come on. They voted, but Herod does not get to determine my destiny. I think that is a word for us this week. What do we owe Jesus this week? I believe we owe Jesus, Jesus, a declaration of citizenship. This week. Maybe more than ever, we need to make the spiritual journey from our home on earth toward the kingdom of God to be counted, as Mary and Joseph were, as kingdom citizens. We owe Jesus a witness. Our work is to declare the praises of Emmanuel, God with us, our King and to reject anything other than the kingdom of God as our highest priority and our only allegiance. It is not ours to determine whether one party or another or one country or another is more or less holy if the unshakable kingdom of God is our primary country. I mean, those things will shake out underneath. But your primary allegiance is to the kingdom of God. And we are kingdom citizens. The unshakable kingdom of God is our country. And we are kingdom people. Members of Emmanuel's family. Royalty with power to inform and transform our community and the world in which we live. In which we vote. In which we speak. In which we act. In which we have our being. Emmanuel, King Jesus, is with us. Not, listen to me, not because we are on the right side of the aisle, but because we are on the right side of the cross. His gospel is our worldview and platform, and it informs our every choice. Scott McKnight says, our purpose is to bless the world by mediating God's joyful presence, his witness. Our work is to bless the world by mediating his joyful presence. Just as God has chosen to be with me, 
I can emphasize his witness in the ways I witness to his presence. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our message. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you. Visit us or check out our website at mosaicchurchevans.org for more information. May God bless your day.